This is episode number 14 of the Tax Security Podcast, where every month our panel of experts from the Cisco security teams of the Cisco Technical Assistance Center discuss uh, security product configuration, troubleshooting, new features, and hot issues. So today we're going to spend some time on the show talking about TCP connections and how they're handled by the ASA and FWSM uh, firewall platforms. Uh, we'll talk about what kind of security checks you can expect your firewall to do on TCP packets and connections. We're going to talk about how the firewalls might modify TCP connections and packets. And also, we'll give you some configuration uh, tips for how to tweak the firewall behavior and also talk about some common uh, customer problems uh, that we see uh, cases come into the TAC for. So with me today, we've got a regular panel of experts, including Magnus Mortensen. How's everything going, Magnus? Uh, everything's going great. Um... If you remember last episode, we talked a little bit about uh, closing on a house, and I think uh, Blaine did kind of the reverse of what I did, but uh, uh, mine went through just fine, and we're living there full steam ahead. Everything's great. Okay, cool. Um, David White, how, how are you doing? How's everything going? Things are going well. Uh, got back from a vacation to the Bahamas, so should be all rested and ready to go. Lucky dog. You, you, don't, you don't look much more tan. Oh, but I do. You, oh. just, you just forget. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and we've also got uh, Blaine Dreyer joining us from Richardson, Texas. Um, Blaine, what's new with you? Yes, like Magnus said, I uh, sold my place in RTP, and so now I am looking for more shelter because it's uh, pretty rainy outside today. Okay. Um, well, let's get started. We should say that uh, we're a little late posting this episode, um, and we apologize for that. But you know, soon we'll be back to our uh, regular uh, monthly release cycle for the episodes. And uh, instead of uh, the Cisco TV studio, we are in the TAC uh, recording studio today, and we're doing a somewhat different system. So we want your feedback if um, this episode recording quality sounds better or worse than the previous ones. So please, please do drop us a line at uh, securityshow at cisco.com and let us know what you think because you know, we make these episodes for you, so we want them to be uh, comfortable to listen to in your car or your iPod or however you're listening to us. Okay, well, um, let's start up today's episode. We're talking about TCP today, and um, specifically TCP on the ASA and the firewall service module platforms. Uh, I think it's important uh, to note that you know, before the TCP connections get built on the ASA of the firewall service module, um, first there's the connections are going to undergo the normal ACL check. So once that initial SYN packet passes through the firewall that uh, and is permitted by the access list, then we build the connection, and then all subsequent packets that match that specific TCP connection are going to essentially bypass the ACL and be allowed um, through the firewall. So. In our show today, we're gonna in in most of these cases, we're gonna assume that the connection has already been built, and we're gonna talk about how the firewall acts upon those connections um, once they're built, uh, once that initial SYN packet's been seen, and what the firewall does with those packets. So now let's talk a little bit about what um, the appliance, the ASA appliance, is actually gonna do and take action on with regard to transient TCP connections that pass through um, the appliance. So these are any user TCP connections between clients and servers, um, maybe out on the internet or in your DMZ or whatever. All the TCP packets that traverse through the firewall are going to be subjected to checks in the ASP. And ASP stands for Accelerated Security Path. And there's a long list of uh, different TCP checks that are going to be performed on those packets. Um, some examples are that uh, the first packet in the uh, connection is be a SYN packet, right? Obviously, TCP connection gets built with a SYN packet. So if we suddenly receive an acknowledgment, then the firewall is going to drop it, and that's going to be appropriate, right? Um, we've also got some other checks that we do. Um, besides just the TCP layer 4 checks, 
when a packet comes in on the wire, um, we're going to be doing some other atomic checks on, say, the IP options that are present in the packet, some layer two checks as well. So there, there's a lot of different checks that these TCP packets undergo. And one way you can see the packets that the firewall might be dropping due to these uh, accelerated security path checks is with the command show ASP drop. Now, if you were going to go to your ASA right now, listening along with the program, and issue the show ASP drop command, you're going to see probably quite a lot of different TCP drop reasons. Some examples might be TCP not sin, TCP three-way handshake failed, things like that. Well, that's totally appropriate in most cases because, you know, in 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 um, production networks, a lot of those uh, a lot of those um, in production networks, you're going to see um, some noise on the wire. You're going to see some clients and servers maybe behaving incorrectly, sending packets after a connection's been closed down, things like that. So it, you shouldn't be alarmed and rush to open attack case if you do see some drops there. Um, you can clear those drop counters with clear ASP drop, and then uh, you can watch them throughout the day to see what kind of packets um, your firewall might be dropping. So you'll often find yourself in a situation where you need to troubleshoot the state of a TCP connection as it flows through the ASA. And two commands uh, lend themselves to, to that, and you can use a show con or a show con detail. Now, the detail argument will provide additional uh, metrics like the uptime of a connection or the time until a connection times out, and it'll also show you all the flag descriptions. Now, the flags are um, attributes that are tied to a connection in the connection table that tells you the state of the TCP connection at that point in time. Some example flags are S and A, and they come in lowercase and capital. A lowercase uh, S, for instance, means we're awaiting an outside SIN, which indicates that we've already received an inside SIN, or a SIN from the inside. A capital S indicates that we're awaiting an inside SIN, and that we've already received a, a SIN from the outside. Um, the same or similar is true for A, lowercase a and uppercase a. Awaiting an ACK to a SIN is a lowercase a and an uppercase A is awaiting an inside act to a sin. Okay, Blaine, so, um, I don't know, this reminds me of a common case where we see uh, some TCP connections failing, and you do a shokan, um, shokan detail, and you see that the flags say SAA. Um, talk, about, talk about what that means. Sure, yeah, and you'll see that even if connections aren't failing, if you just happen to run the command at just the right time, you'll, you'll see SAA if a sin has flowed through the firewall, but we're still waiting on an act to come back. Okay, so the S and the A indicate that a connection is actually coming up, but it's also common to see the flags UIOB on a connection. The U will indicate that the connection is actually up already, the I indicates that we've seen inbound data, the O indicates that we've seen outbound data, and the presence of the B, a capital B, indicates that the initial sin came from the outside. The lack of a B indicates that an initial sin came from the inside. Okay, so when troubleshooting connections through the firewall, we can actually look at the flags that are attached to the connection on the show con and see if they match up with what we expect from the host at that particular state. So, you know, if a SIN has been sent from either side, do we see the appropriately cased S? And if a connection should be established and flowing, do we see UIOB? So those are good things to look at um, if, you know, once the connection's up. So, Magnus, talk a little bit about how we uh, close down a connection on the firewall and what the process is there and, and how, we can see, how we can see that on the firewall. There are a couple different ways that uh, a connection can get closed down in the realm of TCP. Um, really the, the most popular and kind of 
most correct method is by the usage of TCP fin packets, which is a graceful way of indicating from both the client and server side uh, that they're done sending data, that you know they want to close down the connection and finalize that connection. Um, you'll see uh, TCP packets that have what is known as the fin flag, and that indicates that that's the process they're using. Now, there are other kinds of packets that will go ahead and immediately tear down a TCP connection, and those are called TCP reset packets, and they have the reset flag set. Uh, you'll notice on syslogs on an ASA firewall or an FWSM firewall that you'll see uh, syslogs that say built TCP connection and then subsequently a teardown TCP connection. And some of the common reasons why you'll see those will be uh, TCP fins, which indicates a graceful teardown, a TCP reset O or reset I. A reset O indicates that we received a TCP reset packet on the interface with a lower security level. Uh, reset I indicates that we received a TCP reset from the higher security side of the firewall. And other ones that you'll see would be things like uh, SYN timeout, which as Blaine was mentioning, there are those flags that will say, you know, uh, SAA, we had the initial SYN to start the creation of the co uh, connection, but we never actually finished the three-way handshake. Eventually that's going to time out and it'll get labeled as a SYN timeout. All those will show up in, your, uh, in the syslogs on the firewall. And I think one common customer confusion is that they see in the syslogs, um, if a connection is being reset by a client or a server, the firewall is going to issue that reset I or reset O. It's going to have that in the um, in the syslog indicating the connection was closed. But a lot of um, times we get confusion about uh, customers thinking that that means the firewall reset the connection. So we'll get cases that say, you know, why is the firewall resetting this connection? Well, Magnus said, you know, it's not the firewall resetting the connection, it's that the client or the server was resetting the connection. So you've really got to look at whether it's reset O or reset I to determine um, where that reset came from that caused the firewall to immediately close down that connection. Exactly. And in situations like a reset, a reset is a much faster close down of a connection than, say, TCP fins. It's a single packet versus what can be, you know, three or four different packets exchanged when doing a TCP fin closure. Uh, as a result, sometimes you'll see after a connection gets closed down, some messages and syslogs on the firewall that say uh, denied TCP packet and it may have flags like push ACK, ACK, or fin, uh, denied due to no connection. And what that basically means is, you know, we've torn down this connection for whatever reason, reset O, TCP fins, but one of the endpoints in the communication, the server or the client, has decided to continue sending some data. Um, and there are some legitimate situations where this may happen. Um, there are also plenty of situations where it's not supposed to happen, but we've come up with a way on the firewall to uh, allow those connections, the ones that had just closed down, to stay open for, I believe it's 15 seconds longer uh, in order to allow additional information to pass back and forth in the closing moments of that connection. And that's known as SysOp Connection Time Wait. And uh, it's a function that we have on the ASA platform. Uh, we don't have it on the FWSMs, uh, and there's a very good reason for that. Um, with the way that the FWSM handles connections in hardware, we don't have the luxury of holding them around for 15 seconds longer than they need to be there. Um, you know, on the FWSM, when we close a connection, we mark that connection to get closed down, and usually about half a second later, that connection's gone. Um, so TCP time wait's not going to play into, into any role there. But, you know, we, we came up with that to allow that return data to come through, and there are some closed sequences uh, with TCP that would result in connections lingering in a half-closed state on either the client or the server, and having time wait allows those final closing packets to go through and clean it up on both sides.
And we have seen tech cases in the past where um, a client will initiate a connection to a server using a particular five-tuple, you know, IPs and ports, and then it'll get closed down, and then that host will immediately build a new connection to that server with the same five-tuple. So it'll look, the, the, the TCP packets are using the same ports and protocols as the connection that was previously torn down. And if that happens immediately after, you know, less than half a second um, after the previous connection was torn down, the firewall uh, would drop the packet because, again, the firewall keeps that connection around for up to half a second. So um, if that is causing a problem, if the firewall is uh, dropping the packets for that reason, we now log a syslog in that case. Um, and again, you know, it's not an issue really with the ASA, so you won't see that syslog on the ASA. So let's talk a little bit about how the ASA might modify the TCP streams that are passing through it. Um, there are some things that the ASA does to the TCP streams that uh, some of our customers aren't aware of. For the most part, um, obviously, they don't cause any problems, and they're actually there to help smooth along the TCP transfer. So one of the first things uh, that the firewall does for a security reason is it will randomize the TCP sequence numbers that are, um, that are passing through the ASA. So, and this is on, on the firewall service module as well. So when a um, client sends a TCP SYN packet to a server, it'll set an initial sequence number in the uh, TCP packet and the firewall will randomize that. And then when the acknowledgement comes back from the server with that sequence number plus one in the ACK packet, um, the firewall sort of unrandomizes it and sends it to the client. The reason it does this is so that we protect the inside host from some sort of OS detection type attack where um, somebody that's sniffing the connection could try to detect what kind of computer it is based upon what the uh, initial sequence number it chose for subsequent connections. So that's just something that the firewall does and for the most part it really doesn't cause any problems at all. Um, one thing it might cause issues with is BGP authentication connections. So if you've got a BGP connection uh, up through a firewall and there's authentication done on that, the uh, initiator of the BGP connection might take an MD5 hash of the TCP packet and include it with the TCP packet that uh, gets sent to the server, uh, to the BGP peer. And obviously, if we randomize the sequence number in transit, that um, MD5 authentication won't match when it arrives at the server side. So it's, it's a good idea to turn off the randomization uh, for those BGP authenticated flows, and then you won't have any trouble with that. Yeah, that's, uh, that's something I remember from uh, studying for the IE. That comes up in just about every piece of study material that I've seen is, uh, you know, situations with BGP through a firewall. And, and another thing that you'll see the firewall also change uh, on a lot of flows is the actual MSS that is advertised. And, you know, the MSS is known as the uh, maximum segment size, and it's basically a uh, flag that is set in the initial SYN packets by uh, hosts that are initiating the connection to say, you know, how, how big of a chunk of data can they accept and send, etc. Now, when it comes to the firewall, by default, we're going to set the maximum number for the MSS that is seen in a TCP SYN or SYNAC packet to be 1380. And this is a specific uh, number that we've chosen as a default for a handful of reasons. But you can tweak what this is going to come up to look like with the sysopt connection TCP MSS command. And you can define both a maximum, which is, again, by default, 1380, uh, and also a minimum if you so need it. Right, and the maximum of 1380 was really chosen uh, because, as you know, the typical MTU on an Ethernet packet is 1500 bytes and so for the MSS it's usually the MTU size minus the IP header minus the TCP header which both those are 20 bytes so you get a 1460 MSS typically 
However, for the ASA, uh, we also consider the possibility that you might have an IPsec header and or a GRE header added to it. So you subtract those two headers out and you end up with uh, 1380. Now, in uh, your environment, if you don't plan to ever have those flows uh, be IPsec and or GRE flows throwing, flowing through the device, then you could increase that back up to 1460, um, thereby allowing a little bit better performance overhead um, with more data per packet than you would if you leave it at the default, which is 1380. So same goes for if you're testing, you know, doing throughput tests um, with your devices and they're doing TCP performance tests, note that at 1380, you won't get as much performance typically as you would uh, with a 1460 because you'll get more uh, bytes per packet uh, in in the uh, in the flow. So uh, just keep that in mind. And as Magnus mentioned, you know, with the 1380, we will only adjust it down to 1380 if the initial packet has the MSS higher than 1380. If it's lower than 1380, then we don't touch it unless the sysop connection TCP MSS minimum is set. Then we'll only increase it to that minimum. So meaning we don't adjust it uh, automatically unless we either exceed or it's below the minimum and maximum thresholds. So let's talk a bit about um, how you can configure the firewall to modify, you know, how it treats these TCP connections, how um, the firewall can be configured so that it behaves differently on the uh, TCP flows that are passing through it. Well, Jay, one of the ways that uh, we can make some changes to the way that the ASA handles the flows as well as the FWSM is to tweak how we do uh, timing out of connections, idle connections. And we see this a lot here in TAC, uh, where customers are running certain kind of applications like terminal connections that you know build a connection but basically sit idle for very lengthy periods of time. You know, somebody logs in, walks away, they come back, their session's logged out or you know, their application's disconnected. This obviously can cause problems in a production environment when you have uh, applications that are like database applications uh, that have sockets to database servers that don't close for long periods of time but really don't do anything on that connection for a long period of time. Uh, we see these timeout customers run into issues and the easiest thing that you can do is just start tweaking some of those idle timeouts on the ASA and you'll see uh, again, kind of referencing some of those syslogs we talked about earlier, um, a connection will get closed down. It'll say TCP uh, teardown, and it'll list the reason as con timeout. And that means that we've hit the idle timeout for that connection. By default, we've got it set for uh, one hour. But again, certain applications have certain kinds of timeouts that you need to adjust. Yeah, so like Magnus said, I mean, the default timeout is one hour. So if you need to adjust that, we turn to our good friend, the modular policy framework. Um, that we can use to modify various things. Uh, so to modify a TCP timeout, you can specify the traffic with a class map, and then inside of your policy map, inside of the class definition, you can use the set connection timeout command. Now, one quick warning. We have seen a lot of customers actually set their timeout to all zeros, which essentially means never close. The problem that you encounter when you set it to all zeros is that you start to hit the platform hardware connection limits uh, for the particular platform that you're running, at which case you can create no additional connections. One other feature that we added on the uh, ASA is called DCD, or Dead Connection Detection. And basically, the way that works is that the ASA, it'll watch the TCP connection. Once it sees that, the idle timer on the TCP connection has reached some limit, such that we haven't seen a packet from the client or the server on that connection in some certain amount of time, then the ASA will actively probe 
the server and the client with an empty ACK packet that doesn't contain any data. And what we're trying to do is stimulate that TCP, those TCP endpoints to send a packet back to the firewall so that we can just ensure that those hosts are still there and that they both consider that connection open. And if that happens, then we will reset the idle timer on the connection and keep that connection up. Uh, maybe if you hadn't configured DCD, which and it's not configure, it's not uh, enabled by default in the config. But if you don't enable DCD, then the firewall won't do won't actively check those TCP connections by sending that empty ACK, and it might time out those flows uh, before they should. So it, DCD is just another uh, configurable tweak on the firewall that you can use to um, help not time out flows prematurely if uh, the client and the server both consider the connection still up. So basically, uh, there's really you know three different ways you can do the, all these timeout changes. Uh, as Jay mentioned, DCD is a great option. Blaine's uh, version, the MPF, is probably one of the better options as well because you can do it for very specific flows and you can make your changes to only what needs to be changed. The final way was actually to also do it via a global timeout command, and that's going to be timeout, con, and then the time. Uh, mind you, if you change that, it will set the default for all connections on the box to then be that timeout. Again, the MPF is going to give you more granularity, uh, which is better so that you don't you know, have all your connections sitting around for longer than they need to be. You can also say for a specific subset of traffic, you know, how many connections are allowed to be established um, by the client or you know, uh, destined to a particular set of servers so that you can limit that. If you've got a web server and you know that you should never have a client open up more than, say, 10 simultaneous TCP connections to that server, you can configure that using a modular policy framework. You can specify um, a, a set of, uh, you can use an access list to define some traffic destined to, say, your web server. You can um, use a class map to match that ACL. And then as the action in your policy map, you can say set connection per client max. And that would say that any client connecting to that web server, and the client's defined as you know the host that sends the initial SYN packet to build the connection, you can specify that they should have no more than 10 connections open at a time. What this could help with is, you know, if there was some sort of denial of service attack where a particular host on the internet was generating uh, a lot of TCP SYN packets trying to overload that server, uh, and all the SYN packets had the same source IP address, um, you could throttle those and, and prevent that attack. Another thing you can do is you can set an embryonic connection maximum, whereby this is another way you could protect against, say, TCP packets that are, have a spoofed source address. So in that case, since every packet appears to come from a different client, we can say, okay, packets destined to this server, we're going to limit the total number of connections that haven't come up all the way and establish the full three-way handshake. When the packet gets spoofed, the SYN packet comes through the ASA, reaches the server. The server then sends a SYNAC back to some spoofed IP address that doesn't exist. So that connection's never going to come up all the way on the ASA. So by putting a cap on the maximum number of embryonic or half-open half TCP connections, we can help protect the resources on the server a little bit. So now that we talked about um, things that we do with TCP flows, uh, we also briefly touched on kind of checks that the uh, security appliance will do on an individual TCP packet. And some of the advanced things that it can do are configured under what's known as a TCP map. So if you want to follow along with me on, on your ASA, what you could do is you can create a TCP map. Um, so you go into config mode, type TCP-map space, and just give it a name. You might want to call it test. And then you can do show run all TCP map. 
And just by creating a TCP map, you can see what the default configuration options are for a TCP map and what we do for any TCP packet that traverses a firewall. One thing I'll note um, in the very beginning is that we don't really allow many TCP options in the TCP header uh, through the box. So we do allow TCP options uh, 1 through 5 along with uh, 8, but we clear all other TCP options. Um, so if there was a TCP option that existed um, above those numbers, uh, we would just clear it out. So one of those things is, as uh, Magnus uh, talked about earlier, um, as well as Jay, with um, talking about initializing or randomizing the initial TCP sequence number and how that was affected BGP, you also know that when you're doing uh, BGP MD5 authentication that it uses TCP option 19. So again, just turning off random sequence number for the BGP speakers isn't enough. You also have to go apply a TCP map to allow TCP option 19 through so that we don't clear it out. Otherwise, we would clear it out of that packet and it wouldn't work. So another option in the TCP map is uh, the urgent flag. Uh, and by default, you'll notice that the urgent flag is cleared. Um, what the urgent flag originally was for is when TCP speakers were sending, you know, one byte at a time and we'd set the urgent flag to sell TCP that when the app sent a byte of data to automatically send it on. Now, with most TCP applications, the application will send data down and TCP will wait a little bit and aggregate some of that information before sending in, in a packet on the wire. But the urgent flag tells TCP to, hey, go ahead and, you know, forward it out on the wire and then the receiver to forward it up to the stack without coalescing any of that information. So by default, um, the ASA will clear that urgent flag. However, there are some applications that you know, actually check and use that urgent flag. And so for those, you do need to define a TCP map and tell it to allow the urgent flag and not to clear it. Yeah, I remember we used to get tag cases with um, database connection, connections. I think it might have been Oracle database connections would set, set the urgent flag. But apart from that, um, I don't know of any other applications that do it. I'm sure they're out there, but I don't know of any offhand. Do you guys know any? Yeah, there's a lot. Most Telnet applications um, will set the urgent flag. There's a lot of applications that set it, but there's not very many applications that actually check whether the urgent flag is on the packet when it's received, except we have had customers write custom applications that actually require to have the urgent flag set. So when it traversed the ASA and it was clearing it, that was causing a problem for them. Another thing that you'll see there is we have an option called Exceed MSS, and uh, right now it's set to allow, but earlier when the ASA first came out, um, the default was to drop, and we were having a lot of issues with customers where the uh, advertised MSS was not being honored by the TCP stack, um, and so therefore we had to ch actually change that default option. And even though it violated the RFC, it was something that we had to change the default back in the 7.0 days to actually allow that because we were just getting so many uh, issues with those flows getting dropped by customers, so uh, we had to change that. If I remember correctly, Dave, that was a change from uh, 6 to 7, right? Yeah, in 6 we did not check that option, but in 7 we did and we dropped those connections. So that's why you know, we're seeing a lot of issues, um, again, because of TCP stacks that were non-conforming to the RFC. So you know, what we did was we changed that default behavior. I think it was between 704 and 705 or 703 and 704 where we changed the default behavior to allow it. Yeah, we ch I remember we changed that pretty quick because we were getting quite a lot of TAC cases with these bad servers on the internet that were dropping, not honoring it. And so the cases would come in and we'd make that simple config change and would fix everything. So, uh, you know, just a note to all our customers that are listening, you know, the firewall code version, as long as you're running a, a pretty recent code version, not the very first versions of 7, you've you've got this change in there and you shouldn't, uh, the firewall won't be dropping those, those packets by default. 
Right. So some other checks that you can see that we can do, um, whether they're enabled or not, is, again, based on defaults or not, um, is TCP checksum verification. By default, that's not enabled, but you can enable it. It will add additional overhead as we calculate the checksum on a per-packet basis. Um, you also see a queue limit there. We can talk about that in a little bit. It has to do with out-of-order packets. Um, reserve bits, the reserve bits in the headers, those are allowed by default. Um, if there's data in a SYN packet, we do allow that by default, but if there's data in a SYN ACK packet, we do not allow that by default, so we will drop that. Also, if the sequence number is past the window, then that packet gets dropped as well, and again, it'll show up in the ASP drop output. Uh, TCP timestamps are allowed. We allow window scaling. However, you can have that be cleared if uh, you don't want to allow window scaling. Um, and there's also TTL evasion protection, which I won't really get into, but it has to do with an attack vector where you adjust, you continuously adjust and lower uh, the TTL um, and, and modify it uh, to indicate that there's, you know, a, a, it's it's a type of attack that's occurring. And right, and by default, we do have TTL evasion protection enabled, but uh, you, you can disable it if you had to. Well, on the topic of uh, checks, let's go in the complete opposite direction with something called TCP bypass. Um, and again, TCP bypass is kind of the opposite of a lot of what we've been talking about here, but it's very important when understanding how the firewall modifies and monitors TCP connections. Um, TCP bypass, which is a, a new feature, and, and Dave, you probably know the, the version that it first came in, it was, uh, yeah. Uh, hate to push you on the spot. In, yeah, I think it came in 8.2. Yep. Um, you know, TCP bypass is kind of the grown up version of uh, what was known as nailed. And the nailed option, which used to be something you had to attach to static translations, um, would allow you know, packets to pass through the firewall that were non standard TCP. In other words, opening a connection with an ACK packet as opposed to, you know, must always be a SYN packet, et cetera. The TCP bypass is kind of the grown up, more modern version of that. And just like a lot of other functions on our firewall, is configured within the scope of modular policy framework. So uh, you would first start off by defining a class of traffic that you want to bypass TCP checks on and then apply that to a policy. And it's also one of those set connection options. Now, worth noting, there's a couple of different things that uh, we'll still check. Uh, for example, ports and IP addresses are still going to be checked to make sure that packets match on flows. Uh, access lists are obviously still checked. Uh, translation is done. But a lot of the higher level inspections, you know, really anything that you would inspect, like eight, inspect HTTP, inspect FTP, voice protocols, any of those sort of upper level uh, inspections, layer four and higher, aren't going to be done on these flows. So we're not going to check to make sure that you know uh, the packet is a SYN packet that's opening the connection. We're not going to do a lot of the TCP checks that we've mentioned. And this kind of functionality is really helpful when you run into situations, and I know we see it here in TAC a lot, where customers have asymmetric routing. Um, there are really two scenarios where we'll see that kind of behavior, um, where one flow passes, uh, where the flow passes through the firewall only in one direction, but the you know communication maybe from the server back to the client goes through another part of the network. Well, the firewall, which is a stateful box, is going to be looking to see both sides of the flow. The from client to server and also from server to client. If we only see it in one direction, obviously that to us is an invalid TCP connection. TCP bypass will let us allow that kind of traffic. Yeah, to think of TCP bypass as a way, as close as we can get to mimicking what an iOS router would do for TCP packets to forward them, uh, but doing it through the firewall. So that's essentially uh, as close as we can get to removing yeah. inspection yeah. options and everything else on those flows. 
And it might be tempting if you're having a trouble having trouble with your TCP connection through the network to turn on TCP state bypass. But really, the only reason you should have to do that is if there's a problem with the TCP stack on the client or the server, or there's some issue with asymmetric routing on your network. It might be it might be tempting to try to turn it on to see if that's going to fix things. But really, um, you know, you should never have to turn that on in the firewall as long as the connections pass through the firewall and uh, the the TCP behaves okay. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's sure. it's usually a, a result of something, some environmental issue, a strange routing situation that the customer's in, etc. Right. And one of the things Magnus mentioned is when you do enable TCP bypass, that there's some of the higher level, you know, basically all the higher level inspections um, that we can't do. And so, so one of the things that the ASA does is for TCP packets, we also run them through a thing called TCP normalizer, which does some normalization of them and you know does the checks on them, but we also have a thing called a TCP proxy. And what's needed with some of the higher level application inspections, for example, the SIP, the skinny, um, those type of voice inspections where we need to see the ordering of the request and the responses to ensure that they're following the state diagram for those protocols, um, is that we need to see ordered packets. And with TCP, there is no requirement that the packets be sent or delivered in order. So what the ASA will do is it'll actually, um, for those TCP flows that we need to see ordered packets for, we will uh, buffer those packets and then reorder them uh, if they came to us out of order and then do our checks on them before transmitting them out in order. So because of that, there's a few complications. Um, One of them is when we receive a packet and it's out of order and we need to have an ordered part of it, we will send back an ACK to the sender to let them know we've received that packet, but we really are missing some packets and send us the missing packets. Um, That act is only, it's spoofed as if it's coming from the receiver, uh, but it's sending it to the sender, but it's actually the appliance, security appliance that's actually sending it. Uh, Once we receive those packets, then we're going to go ahead and, like I said, do the inspection and send them on. Now, because of this, we've got to buffer these out-of-order packets in our internal memory. And on the ASAs, we have a limit of about 5,000 packets that we can buffer internally. Once we receive that, uh, exceed that limit, you'll see in the show ASP drop output that you'll see some TCP global packet buffer full counters that would be incrementing if our global packet buffer full counters incrementing. Also, on a per-flow basis, we also have a per-flow packet buffer, and that counter would be TCP packet buffer full. So if you see either of those incrementing, that's indicating that you're getting a lot of out-of-order packets and we're not able to buffer them long enough to to actually preserve them all in order because we're exceeding our buffer limit. We do have a timeout of four seconds for those two, so therefore we'll hold the out-of-order packets within that flow for up to four seconds before we discard them because we did not receive the missing packets to complete that segment. So one... um case that we have seen in the TAC before is that a customer will use some online speed test website to gauge the speed of their internet connection. And they notice that if they turn on, say, if they pass the HTTP traffic for that connection through the IPS module in their ASA, the speed suddenly decreases a whole lot, you know, maybe gets cut in half or a third, right? And then once they disable the IPS and, and they don't send that traffic to the IPS module, the speed suddenly increases. And so they're wondering, you know, why that occurs. Going back to what David said, he, he mentioned that ASA in some cases will require the packets to be in order and, and actively 
you know, send acknowledgments so that it um, reorders the TCP stream in the flow if there's dropped packets. We've seen issues where if, if the traffic gets sent to the IPS module, then the firewall needs to coalesce that TCP stream to get the full flow information before it hands it off to the IPS. If there is a situation where there's packet loss on the internet, say there's a bad internet uplink or something like that, then the, every missing packet that the firewall sees on that connection, that say that um, HTTP speed test connection, the firewall is going to send an ACK on behalf of the client asking for that missing data before it can send it to the IPS. And that is a very expensive operation on the ASA. And because of the time involved in re-requesting that data, the speed test results might appear to suffer. So, And one, really, um, one, one thing that really affects that too is in definitely in the speed test and, and a lot of other applications, a lot of them enable SAC or selective acknowledgments, which means that... Um, if you know an out of order packet to receive, the receiver can say, "Hey, I'm missing this particular sequence space." You know, meaning one packet or two packets. Therefore, send me just that um, sequence space of data that I'm missing. Instead, uh, without selective acknowledgement, the receiver um, has to drop the later packet it received, and you know, and the sender has to retransmit all that data because it doesn't really know. Well, a problem was is that when we the TCP proxy was invoked, it did not support selective ACK until very recently. And very recently, I mean the 705 um, version and the 805 and the 822 version. So, therefore, without selective ACK, um, those speed tests get even a lot worse with um, out of order packets or, or drop packets on the link because the endpoints wanted to do selective acts and they were expecting it and the ASA could not perform selective act with them. Therefore, that really greatly exasperated the problem and your speed results were about a quarter of what they should have been. So if you're uh, running an IPS module, I definitely encourage you to upgrade to 705 or 805 or 822 to get that functionality. Um, your speed test will improve and also just your normal data packet uh, traffic will flow will improve as well if there's any uh, any drops on the link. And when we're troubleshooting these cases that come in, the first thing we do is uh, take packet captures of the uh, flow. Um, episode number one of the Tax Security Podcast talked extensively about packet captures. So check out that ep episode if you want to learn more about this. But by taking packet captures, it'll be very obvious where the packets are going missing. Usually it's on the internet. You might also see it if there's bad duplex or speed on a, on a link somewhere in your network. And once, once that packet loss gets resolved and the packets aren't being dropped somewhere else, then you'll see the speed uh, dramatically improve and it'll be, you know, it'll be, it'll be performing very well. Um, so usually those, these problems are resolved by fixing whatever issue it is in the network um, and not necessarily a change on the firewall uh, itself. Talking about packet captures and using those to, uh, to troubleshoot TCP problems, that's a really handy tool. Like I said, go back and listen to episode number one where we discuss this. Uh, an easy way to do it is if you're having a problem with a TCP flow between two interfaces, two hosts, just uh, create a quick capture and use the match argument to specify the two hosts that you're having trouble with. Then um, once you've got those two captures enabled and running each on one interface of the firewall, then go ahead and start the connection that's having trouble. Once the failure occurs, pull those captures off or look at them right there on the firewall and determine what is wrong with the TCP connection that's uh, causing the issue for the application. So the, the ASA will natively drop packets that are in violation of, of some attribute and those drops are shown in the output of a show ASP drop. And those packets that are dropped for the particular reasons uh, can also be looked at through a packet capture specifically tied to ASP drop reasons. 
So if you look in a show ASP drop, you're going to see on the left-hand side the description for the drop, and then on the right-hand side you'll see a counter for the number of packets that have been dropped due to that reason, and then in parentheses you'll see a particular label for that drop. You can actually tie a capture to that label with a capture, and then give it a capture name, and then the keyword type, space, and then keyword ASP-drop. And then you can specify the keyword all, or you can specify a particular ASP drop reason. And when that capture starts gathering packets, it's only going to gather packets that have been dropped for that particular ASP drop reason. You can then look inside that packet capture, and if the traffic that you're troubleshooting, the traffic that you're concerned with that's, that may not be making it from one side of the firewall to the other, if that traffic shows up in that capture, you know it was dropped for that very reason. Another really cool way of, uh, of doing this, and again this is for the ASA, is you can capture all the drop reasons, um, and then you, if you show um, that capture, so show capture and whatever the capture name is, on the ASA itself and you can pipe it for your IP address, it'll actually tell you the reason that the packet was dropped. It'll give you the ASP drop reason um, for the packet. So that really helps cor correlate your flow with this particular dropped reason. Last, we'll talk about the firewall service module. There's some special considerations when it comes to uh, looking at TCP flows through the firewall service module, especially if you're um, looking at some high-throughput TCP flows or you're doing some high-throughput testing with a tool like iPerf, um, that sort of thing. And specifically, um, the FWSM gets um, its high-speed throughput by keeping the TCP connection processing in the fast path of the firewall service module. And when we say fast path, we mean uh, one of two specific network processors that handle uh, those connections in hardware. But along with those, um, that high-speed comes some trade-offs and in particular, there are some issues there regarding Selective ACK. So as uh, Dave mentioned earlier about uh, you know, how TCP Selective ACK works, uh, with the FWSM there is some specific considerations we have to you know, keep in mind uh, with Selective ACK. And one of those deals with sequence number randomization. Just like on the FWSM and the ASA, we do sequence number randomization here. With Selective ACK in particular, you've got acknowledgement information that is both part of the TCP header, the normal TCP ACK information, as well as what's part of the different selective ACK options that will be present in the TCP options section of our packets. With randomization, the FWSM, again, because it does things in hardware, can only randomize and adjust the outer, I guess you call it the outer TCP acknowledgement information, what's part of the native TCP header. It doesn't have the ability to change the information that's in the Selective ACK portion of our TCP packet. So if you've got connections that are using Selective ACK, but also have their sequence numbers randomized, what'll end up happening is as that Selective ACK packet passes through the firewall, the fire, uh, FWSM will unrandomize or randomize the sequence number portion of it, the ACK portion, but it doesn't touch the selective ACK. So when the end host receives that packet, they'll try to compare and see that the selective ACK flags, uh, excuse me, the selective ACK fields don't make any sense uh, compared to the actual sequence number or acknowledgement number of that packet, and it'll end up dropping that packet and not responding to it. Uh, we see this come up as a pretty big performance hit once you start passing uh, you know, high-speed data, etc. And on the FWSM, we really have two ways we can deal with this. One way is to simply just disable sequence number randomization, and that can be done with uh, modular policy framework, as well as uh, clearing out the uh, selective ACK option altogether, basically telling the end hosts not to do selective ACK, and that can be done with a sysop command to clear out the selective ACK flag that is sent in the initial sins. 
one of our uh, colleagues over in San Jose, Andrew, uh, went through and wrote up a pretty good guide on understanding single flow speeds on the FWSM. And that's available on the uh, support forum location. And uh, you'll see here in our uh, show notes that we will have a link over to that doc. And it's a pretty well-written one. Shows kind of how these situations play into uh, performance issues on the FWSM. And again, you should only, you know, the selective act issue only really crops up if there's packet loss on the network. So in a network where you don't have any packet loss, the selective act numbers, you know, selective act won't get engaged because there's no packet loss. You, we only see this issue when the speed test is traversing a WAN or some dirty link that's dropping some packets. One other uh, hardware knob that we have on the FWSM is called the completion unit. Um, we, we talked about those fast path network processors. Um, each network processor has 32 threads that are running on it and processing packets. And there exists a possibility due to that architecture that if um, there's a lot of packets coming in very quickly to the firewall service module on a single flow, and the inter-packet gap between those packets is very, very small, there's the possibility that um, one thread might process a packet and finish processing it before finishes processing the subsequent packet. The, the bottom line is the firewall service module might occasionally flip the order of the packets as they're um, processed and, uh, and put on the wire. Um, this may manifest itself if you're doing like a, a, a TCP throughput speed test in that the TCP client or the server might think that there was a packet dropped in that short amount of time due to the reordering or the reordering might affect the TCP um, connection in some way that shows a lower speed throughput. We have had some customer cases on this, and um, for the most part, uh, since we enabled this NP completion unit knob, whereby we um, guarantee the order of the TCP packets as they traverse the FWSM, for the most part, those um, speed issues, as reported by the test application, have been resolved. So the command is sysopt NP completion dash unit, and what that'll do is it'll um, cause the firewall to maintain the order of the TCP packets in the flow. If you're not having trouble with out-of-order packets in these high throughput speed tests with TCP right now, with your firewall service module, then we don't recommend that you do enable the, the feature. We only really recommend uh, that you enable it if you are having specific problems with out-of-order packets introduced into these very high throughput connections. We feel it's important to, uh, you know, at least talk about that feature, and for more information information on that, check out the show notes and we'll put a link to Andrew's support forums document, which is very good. And it goes through the completion unit. It talks about um, some speed test results that he's done, passing traffic through the firewall service module and information about Selective Act and a lot of other stuff. Well, thanks for listening to this episode. We hope that uh, it's, it's helped you learn more about how the uh, ASA and the firewall service module might be affect TCP flows, and they go through their security checks and some configuration changes you can make uh, that might be pertinent to your network uh, situation. To view the show notes for this episode and to view the show notes for other episodes as well and listen to other episodes, go to www.cisco.com slash go slash tax security podcast. Yeah, Jay, I think it's worth mentioning kind of uh, the support forums in general. Uh, if you point your browser over to uh, supportforums.cisco.com, you'll see we've now got essentially an online community where both tech engineers like us as well as customers like you uh, can come in and discuss different topics uh, all pertaining to Cisco products, configuration help, etc. cetera. Uh, we've moved a lot of our podcast information over to this site as well, and you can get to that by browsing to the Cisco support forums and logging in and taking a look in the security section. You should see in that area a link for the TAC Security Podcast, and that'll bring you to a page which will uh, outline all of our different episodes as well as places where you can comment and 
and leave questions, uh, you know, ideas for new shows, etc. List them all there in kind of a nice forum atmosphere. As always, we want uh, feedback from you guys. We want to understand what you like about the show, what you don't like about the show, and also future show topics that you'd like uh, to hear us discuss. So please drop us a line at securityshow at cisco.com, and we'll make sure to write, uh, write you back. We've gotten some good feedback recently from uh, different listeners. We want to know if the uh, information that we've given you here has been useful in uh, some aspect of your work. So please drop us a line, and we'll be sure to respond back to every email we get. One other cool thing uh, that Blaine's starting is the the new IPS Media Series. Tell us about that, Blaine. Yeah, so um, I started that up with a colleague here in Richardson, and we're actually venturing venturing into the world of uh, video podcasting or vodcasting. So um, we're trying to do video, and uh, we're kind of starting off as amateurs, but we're learning a lot really fast. Uh, the major topics are essentially anything related to IPS. I mean, we talk about troubleshooting, the individual features, and uh, as well as some experiences that we've had in TAC. So sort of like this show, but we added the video element so that we can do things like screencasts and also so that you can see our beautiful faces. So um, that's under the IDS section on the Cisco support community. All right. Thanks a lot.